0: has been passed I don't
1: you might need to listen just a little bit closer to today's sermon, because it's very old. It was recorded in 1960, exactly 61 years ago, at the Church of Christ in Christian Union camp meeting held in Circleville, Ohio. Today's guest speaker is T.M. Anderson, and I know you're going to enjoy what you're about to hear. It's titled, No Man Can Serve Two Masters.
0: I don't want to take for granted the
2: But I was reminded a little of a man that had been converted late in life and then went into the ministry, a very devout man. And someone asked him one day, and said, Now tell me, since you have been saved and sanctified and in the ministry, have you ever had anything that so provoked you or so distressed you that you said some rather rough words about it? No, he said I haven't. But he said I tried to carry a load of bean sticks through a horseweed patch and done a lot of mumbling about it. (laughs) I didn't say anything, but I done a lot of mumbling. (laughs) And regarding my... trip into Florida and my proposed trip out of Florida. I've never got away from Kentucky as far as that's concerned. But my oldest daughter in Florida has been at the point of death, but has now better. She'll never be well. She only has one third of her lungs left. It is not TB. I don't know what it is. It's got a name I couldn't pronounce if I tried Therefore, <clears throat> she is better. It seems to be getting along all right. We just don't want to die out of Kentucky in any other state. I'd be afraid the resurrection angels would never find me. <laughs> <laughs> and since there's no member of the Chamber of Commerce of any place in St. Petersburg or Clearwater, and I live joining to Clearwater, I'll tell you what a fellow from Pennsylvania said when they sent him down to Florida, having in mind for them to make some investment in some land down there. I don't know whether they're going to buy it by the foot or for the quart, but they were buying. He came back and delivered this report. He said there is 40,000 million different kinds of bugs, and they're all bite you, and they're all forced. <laughs> The polecats are only half as large in Florida as they are in Pennsylvania, but stink twice as bad. (laughs) He said the weather is never good and never bad and never neutral. He said the natives are some mean that they will borrow eggs off of you when they're 55 cents a dozen and wait till they're 15 cents a dozen to pay them back.
0: (laughs) Now, Florida
2: is not quite that bad. (laughs) But seriously, our only reason for returning back is not only my daughter's physical condition, but... I'm a little troubled about the missus. I'll take her back where the doctors know her case history and where we'd be near our friends if either of us take a notion to go to heaven. We covet your praying. Now, I've never in my life, in the years that I've been coming to Circleville, and if I count correctly, I came here about the first time in 1918. And that's been a long while ago. I have never in those years ever had one unpleasant moment among the people at the camp meeting, or at the church or anywhere among your people as the Christian Union. I've been in other of your churches in other cities. And this has been a high point in these years of my ministry Labor again with you. Wish I could give you a better ministry, but somehow another fellow sort of gets old and slowed down. I have a way of getting tired. But it's been a delight to work with Brother Williams. He and I have joined forces in other campaigns and camp meetings and indoor camps. He's a very remarkable young man and a great preacher. I urge that he be prayed for to take the place of some of us. And we are moving on. And, of course, Brother Darcy and your pastor and others, I trust that the worst thing that ever happens to any of you is that you get to heaven. That's the meanest thing I could think about, to get you inside the gates. I'm reading for you tonight a selected portion from our Lord's teachings as recorded in Luke and in chapter 16. And for want of time, I think I shall leave part of it unread, but you will be familiar with most of it. In Luke in chapter 16, and I begin the reading at the ninth verse, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, That when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust, true riches. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, or either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. He said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, you may recall that this discourse of our Lord moved onward. And concluded that portion of it with the story of the rich man and of Lazarus. And it is all an integral part of the whole of the master's teaching. I want to ask God's blessing on the word. Dear master, back there in that distant day when you spoke as never a man had spoken and even thine enemies were confused and confounded in thy critics' hushed. And thy people rejoiced, and they that had ears to hear heard thee speak with great emphasis of truth. Yes, yes. Now, across these centuries, thou art the same unchanged Christ. Yes. And thou dost yet speak to us. Oh, will it please thee then to speak tonight through thy servant. And grant to give me that strength of body yes, that I need to give myself to this message. And I know, dear Lord, that it is like the closing service of this meeting; it may be the last message the people would hear, or I should deliver. Yes. That last time will come, and the books will be closed. Yes. Grant me that anointing from Thyself. That enables me to preach thy word as Christ would have me preach it. And in as much as possible, eliminate me and advance thyself. And let Jesus this night be the message and the messenger. And blessed Holy Spirit, do thy work moving in our midst and grant to us the riches of thy grace. Let not Satan triumph over any. And may some find help from God. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Brother Rumble, try switching that light off for me a moment. Let's see if I look as well in the dark as I do in the light. I think that'll be all right if you can endure it because my eyes have been used these 72 years and that light hurts them a little. I have in mind two things in the message of this moment. Both of them are of equal importance. One of them always first in every message I try to bring is to contribute to the spiritual life and the saving of the soul of any that may need help from God in any measure of required grace. That, of course, is primarily and should be always first. The other that I have in mind is that you will be able to conserve, if you are a Christian, what you have and not surrender under any circumstances to anything other than the whole will of God. So I shall try to speak to you deliberately and understandingly and covet your prayers as well as your hearing. The Savior said as you heard the reading from Luke chapter 16 and verse 13, No man can serve two masters. For either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hold to the one and despise or undervalue the other. Then with a positive assertion made this statement. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Greek word that is translated mammon as near as I can find, come up to us out of both the Hebrew language and the Assyrian language. In the Hebrew language, the scholars tell us that it means the god of wealth or the god of treasure. In the Assyrian language, it was the personification of materialism, and they thought of it in the form of a God to be worshipped, so that you can readily see what the Savior has in mind then when He laid out the truth before us, that you cannot serve the eternal God and be a slave to earthly things. That is primarily what he has to give to us. So as I open that for you, I pray that that truth, may forever be impressed upon your mind. I want to go back for a moment into what precedes in the teachings of our Lord so you will see its setting. The Savior had given them a parable about a man who had a steward that was accused of wasting his Lord's goods and that that steward was called into account trickery, and finally got himself wormed out of his difficulty, but the message that the Lord would have us see is, in the matter of an unfaithful steward, keep that fact in your mind. Then another thing that I would have you to see clearly, and that is, when Jesus said, make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail they may receive you into everlasting habitation. Now it would seem that there is a contradiction in the Savior's teaching for in one statement he said make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness and on the other side he said you cannot serve God And mammon. I will read that passage for you regarding making, if you said, friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, and it would appear in a pre-reading of the original. Jesus would say, make to yourselves a friend, not a God, of the material things of this life, which in themselves are not wrong, so that when you fail, and the Greek word is, when you become weak, as with old age or with sickness, these things will provide you some security or give you a place of habitation. It is only a sensible way of saying that if you keep your material interests in the right place, and don't make out of them of God, then these things, these good things of life, which in themselves are unmoral, they are neither bad, nor are they good. They can do no evil. They are simply the things that are necessary to life. But if you get them out of their proper place and make them a God and become a slave to them, it is then that you will violate the Savior's words, you cannot serve God and mammon. Would you reduce the fan so I won't have to speak so hard? <clears throat> now then, follow me once more through this, that you may see the twofold aspect of what the Savior is teaching. And if I can get this laid out before you, any further preaching I may be doing about it will be very readily understood. You'll notice that they are two devotions. I use the word devotion because it is more than a service. You'll think of it as two servants. One is unfaithful, the other is faithful. So we'll call it Two devotions. Then you will notice that there were two desires. The Pharisees were covetous and God's people are not grasping and covetous. Then you will note that there are two decisions. One for earthly things the other for eternal things. You will also note that there were two deaths, the death of the selfish man and the death of a saved man. Then you will likewise notice that there are two destinies, one of them in hell, the other in heaven so that our Lord has laid clear before you these two one always accompanied by the other. Then in the case of the rich man and of Lazarus there are set before you two extremes of life. One you see the extreme of poverty for no one could be more poverty-stricken than Lazarus, whose friends were homeless dogs who begged for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. That is the bottom of poverty. No one could be more in wealth and prosperity than the rich man who was clothed in fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. The poor man did not go to heaven because he was poor. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. Somewhere in that story, Lazarus must have found the Savior. Whatever the cause of his poverty was is not stated. But nevertheless, he was poor in material things, but rich in the things of God. The other man was rich in earthly things, but he was poor, more than poor in spiritual things. Every one of us may be placed in one or the other of the classes. Now I'm not following the dual purpose that is laid out there, the two foldest, I'm taking one straight line through to arrest your attention first to that one devotion, to that one desire, to that one decision, to that one hour of death, and to that one eternal destiny. The other goes along with it. And I pray God you shall see its scope of truth. Now then, Jesus said, no servant, don't miss that, can serve two masters. Therefore, there must be a servant that is faithful to God and a service of devotion rendered in faithfulness to God. You will notice also that the matter of stewardship is brought in. Now, the word servant means an individual whom his master owns. It's a matter of ownership. And the steward is a man whom God has appointed to an office. So you have divine ownership and the divine appointment to an office. Therefore, the devotion is to obedience to that appointment in the matter of the recognition of ownership. Now, ladies and gentlemen, have you ever settled in your mind on the fact that Almighty God is the absolute and only owner of everything in earth and in heaven. That you don't own and never can own one sticker straw or one inch of this earth. And you don't own yourself for if you're a Christian, you have been bought with a price and you are not your own. You have been redeemed. If you are not a Christian, you are then owned by your earthly possessions and by the devil who stands back of it. You are not your own. And whichever way your devotion is, it will be in a devotion to an ownership. And a recognition of ownership. Now we've had some strange ideas about stewardship. And that is that it applies to the stewardship of your money. That is the poorest concept that anybody could ever fix upon. Jesus Christ Himself was God's appointed steward because He committed to Him all things in heaven and in earth and his assigned task was to bring these heaven given things and give them to his people. He was faithful over his household. So a steward and a servant in the New Testament is a call or a commissioned one that God has called and commissioned to give to his household, to his people, their spiritual portion in due season. Jesus said that, as Luke records it in chapter 12. Therefore, if you're a preacher, I begin with you. If you are a preacher, then you have been called of God to be faithful over the things that God has placed in your hand, the spiritual thing and the eternal things, as well as earthly things that you are not the owner of them, you never have been and you never will be. And it's your job to see to it as a preacher that God's people have their spiritual portion like the steward was to see that the family of the man had their due portion. And if you don't do it, you are an unfaithful steward and will go to hell for failure. If you are a layman or a laywoman, you have a stewardship. You are a witness and you are a possessor. And God expects you to make your rightful contribution in the spiritual health of everyone that you can. And if you fault in that and fail in that, then you are an unfaithful steward. You're an unfaithful servant. Your devotion is not true. And you're worshiping something else and devoting your time to something else and you're thus unjust and will go to hell because of your unjust condition. Amen. That's where we are. And I'll say this again, that in our holiness schools and church schools that the people have put their blood in it and their money in it and their prayers in it and then in some of them line know they get faculty members and a president who turns the people's minds away from God and away from their faith. And the whole bunch of them are pious frauds and thieves and robbers and will go to hell. Amen. So now you see where the Savior has brought us the end of the matter of our devotion. Therefore, you don't own anything. Now, we raise this question. It ever occurred to you, as it has to this unworthy servant, that a human being, man or woman, stands in a peculiar position in the whole chain of the divine ownership. That is to say, from you downward in the scale are animals of the lower order On down to the materialism of the actual things of the earth. And on that side, you have a physical body that in itself requires the same kind of food that the others are to require or at least food to keep them alive. On the other side, from a man upward, everything is spirit. Moving onward up into the highest ranks, clear on up, to God, But a man, a human being, is both related on the physical side to the world below him and on the spiritual side to the world above him. Now, you have a right to take the life of animals for your food and for your clothing and the plants of the earth for your food and shelter and the minerals of the earth your own comfort but pray tell me do these things end with your life to whom then does your life belong if you can take the life of these things to support you where does your life belong the only answer is it belongs to god Amen. and when you fail to give it to god you have severed the connection and to tell you the plain truth, you steal every bite you eat, every thread you wear, and will go to hell a universal thief. You have used another man's good. You have not been faithful to that which is entrusted to you. You have an unjust steward, an unjust servant, an unjust and undevoted person. And you've lived for yourself and will die for yourself and be damned. As a selfish soul in the sight of God. Amen. Now that's where we are. Now then, that sets into the proper perspective. What is it in the sight of God, as a devoted servant of His and a child of His? What is not only my duty or devotion that is readily seen, but primarily, what is my desire are what are my desires. Now analyze yourself. What is it that you desire? What is it that you want? What is it that God Almighty sees that you want? Is it earthly things? With whatever they may mean and however they may convey to your thinking, is that what you want? Or do you desire spiritual things? Now, if you are anxious and ambitious and set all together on the attainment of a few earthly things, then God says that you are a covetous as a Pharisee. You've got a desire and desire only to live and gratify yourself and possess material things Earthly things—what you eat, what you wear, where is your clothes in a house, your family, and your little duration of time down here—is that what you want? Or on the other side, do you want eternal things? Do you want spiritual things? Do you want God's things? <laughs> your body. Is it possible that I'm preaching to men and women tonight that you don't care for anything else but what you have right here? And that nobody can stir, not even God, a desire to move you out of this and see they're secondary and that they're gods within themselves and you become a slave to them and put you on the other side where you can see you've got an immortal soul. You've got desires for the spiritual. Desires for the holy. Is it possible? That right? preacher do no, you but don't want that. God sees that. And God recognizes that. And he said, you cannot serve everything and be a devotee of, and devote your time to them to the hurt of your soul and the neglect of your spiritual life and of God. You can't do it. God will not accept a divided allegiance. He won't have it. And what a thing it is. Oh, I would like sometime to have a photograph, a picture, a description of what it is that men and women want instead of God and all the persuasion and all the begging that you can do they won't turn loose of it they want it they desire it they ridicule and deride you in a sense because you want them to do different I'd like to see what it is in the name of God is it bigger than God is it more important than God is it better than heaven is it better than anything else that you can ever see God and when you get it and when you have it is it what you want it Will it be all right when you're dying? Will it be all right when you meet God? Is that all you want? That's the problem. That's it. In this time we were doing some serious thinking. Because you've become a devotee and a worshiper and an admirer and a seeker and an ambitious to have this world, whether you get a fistful a day full, fast, sumptuousness, every day clothed in the best, but go to hell. Yes. What do you want? And how do you know what God will let you have what you want? And then the thing you didn't want, you can't get. It. Now that's what we're facing in the language of the Savior. I've searched my own heart in the light of this. And I could say, if I stood in the presence of the eternal God like I see you, I could say, Lord God, I'd rather be as poor as a Lazarus if I can only be rich in the things of God. (laughs) If I can have as much God as I want. I've said to him, you've made vast things in this world. I look at the stars of the heavens. I look at thy measureless universe. I see the surging seas and the high-pile mountains and the spreading plains. You've done everything on a generous scale. to be a servant to anything else. If I can't be faithful in a lifetime to him that's meant so much to me I deserve to be damned. And if I ever fail him I trust that I shall fall in the belching volcano and be burned to ashes and thrown to the uttermost parts of the earth and forgotten of God. And on it is. What do you want? What's your desire? When I draw the board of venture, it'll be mighty easy to get up and walk out of a meeting like this. And by so saying, I want to live as I am living. I have certain things in my own self-life and I want them. And I'm going to have them. You can get them. But there will be an afterwards That's inescapable. God laid the line before Esau who had the right of the birthright and he sold it for a morsel of meat. I don't know how long Esau was at the table. Maybe he sat for one hour and gorged himself on the red potties. I don't know. Till he enjoyed it to its last drop. ladies and gentlemen, is the time that you live from your birth to your burial. And if you want your little morsel of meat, then eat it while you're sitting at the table of life. Eat it. But remember this, that there comes a time when the last drop is consumed and the last morsel has been swallowed. Then what? The then what? And I think of my lifetime as being a measure of the time that I am here to eat as an Esau would have eaten at a table. I am past 72. I don't know how much longer I may live. But I know this, that it would have to fall at least reasonably within 15 or at the most years. Therefore, I've only got a little more time at the table. How old are you? How long do you think you live? And from now that you're aged now to the time you figure that you may run out of life, that's what you've not left. Now eat it. Consume it. Make the most of it. And go to hell without your birthright. we'll make. I was preaching in a meeting up in New Jersey a few years ago. It was one of those times in which I've seen very few in which the Spirit of God so moved that I saw people run to an altar. And when the altar service had quite cleared up a bit, it had none of the preaching I'd done, just God did it. Some workers called me down the side aisle, like down one of these side aisles. And there lying in the straw of the camp was a man, I would say, up in his 60s. He raised up on his elbow and said this to me, I'll never forget it while I live. He said, Preacher, when I was about 20 years of age, God called me to preach. I was a Christian. He said, I didn't want to preach. I had a business career that I wanted to enter. And I knew that I'd make much more in that career than I would in preaching. Furthermore, I was engaged to be married to a young woman, and I knew that it would break our engagement. He said, Preacher, I had my way about it. I entered the business. But in 40 years, I have only worked for wages to put them in a sack with a hole in it. I have nothing. I married the woman. She's gone. I presume by that she was dead. My children are gone. They meaning by that they had homes of their own. And then out of eyes that looked the depths of horror, said, God's, God's gone. God's gone. God's gone. I put my hand out to try to feel for him in the place where he was waited his vacant. God's gone. I packed my spring and I missed it. I tried to get some comfort to him, but all ever I got is God's gone. He had his way, didn't he? He got what he wanted, didn't he? Now then, there comes a the decision. Not only desire, but you're going to make a decision and God's going to witness that decision. And that decision will become final sometime and none change And that decision was the way God put it like this when he said, the Savior said, Ye are they, speaking to these covetous ones, made fun of what he's preaching. Ye are they that justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart. Isn't that terrific? God sees the heart. Men only see the outward. That which is highly esteemed among men, is abomination in the sight of God. Now let's bring it down to our day. They said you are they that justify yourselves before men. And the word justify means that you appear to be doing the right thing, and that's what men want you to do, and that you have a form of religion, or that you have in some way or another some observance of what you think to be right. But it's highly esteemed among men. But God knows the heart. God knows the heart. Am I speaking to some man or woman in here tonight that's saying in yourself, I'm about as good as the average Roman church member? And you can say that and not be good enough to get into heaven. <laughs> you are they, if you are here like that, That's just sanctifying yourself before me and rationalizing your way to perdition, because God knows your heart. I preaching to some of you in here tonight that in your minds you affirm, you believe there is such an effort as entire sanctification that you can have a pure heart, and you haven't got it. And you are justifying yourself by not getting it. You are either rationalizing or making some excuse or postponing the crisis. And that which you are highly esteeming in the sight of God is an abomination. And God knows your unholy heart. Your decision to this moment is to go the other way, to give yourself over to some selfish pursuit, To live a little longer for yourself. To indulge yourself a little longer. Not bring it to a crisis and die to your sin and self. You want to do that. And you make your decision. And God Almighty will see it. And it will come Fix. And after a while there isn't any preaching anybody can do that will do anything to you. You'll go on your way and land in hell. You can't fool God on this. The only reason any man or woman is not saved, not regenerated, is you think more of yourself and of your sin and of your earthly possessions than you do of God and salvation. The reason you're not sanctified is because you think more of yourself and in your own selfishness. You want to live like that. You want to postpone it. Your head tells you one thing and your heart tells you another. And you've gone on. And God knows your heart. The only thing you're doing is just justifying yourself in your own eyes and before men. But God has got to change his run on your heart and set it down that what you want is an abomination compared to what he has. And... There are two deaths. The rich man died and the poor man died and you and I are not so well off that we won't die and you're not so poverty-stricken for what you'll die. And that then settles the day, doesn't it? That's the end of the road. There is nothing you now can retrieve and nothing you can bring back. The books are closed. Life is finished. Each goes to his own place. Now, look. Look at the black side of it. When Abraham said, and that's not a parable, don't let Jehovah's false witnesses lie to you and tell you that this is a parable. Jesus never used the word parable here, he said, There is, there was. But I heard preachers preach on the rich man in hell and the Lazarus in heaven and I never could figure out why either one went to either place. They were there, but why did they go? The answer that Jesus gave is one man lived for himself. He wanted earthly things. His achievements have been such that they had occupied all of his time that he lived splendidly, sumptuously well-fed and beautifully cold But he went to hell. The other man, we don't know what misfortune may have fallen. He may have had ulcers. He may have had Asiatic leprosy. He was lonesome. They laid him at a gate to make the crumbs that fell from the table and the dogs licked his sword. I don't know what befell him. But I do know this, that somewhere he got things fixed up with God. He didn't have any clutch on anything but God. And he died. And his pallbearers were angels. And they carried him home and placed him in Abraham's bosom. In one of God's tallest saints. Holding him in love's embrace. The other man also died. But things are reversed. They have a way of being reversed. The man that had plenty was now in poverty. The other man that had poverty was now in plenty. Things will be reversed. And if you and I die without spiritual riches, then you will have... The other world in poverty, till one drop of water from the end of a beggar's finger would be to you a treasure. The news came back a gulf is fixed. There's an invisible gulf down here between these that are spiritual and those. And you've never in your life recognized anything so clear as when you get the experience of grace and your unsafe relatives and neighbors don't have it. There's a gulf between you. You're on one side and they're on the other. And they cannot cross to you without coming through to Christ. And you can't go back to them without deserting the Lord. So sin has made a gulf between a man and his maker. And up his precipitous sides are carved no steps to help him climb out of the depth of his sin. It borders are as remote as the ends of eternity and across it no bridge appears. But one day, the Son of God dropped the stem of his cross in that gulf and his outstretched arm bridged the chasm until you and I can pass through the cross (laughs) and get over the gulf that's fixed between us and God and find him waiting on the other rim to welcome us into his family. (laughs) But the time will come when the cross is lifted and the gulf remains. And character is fixed. You know, the thing that can happen to us now is you can be changed. You could come in this place a sinner and go out of here a changed soul and a Christian. But when character is fixed, you can't be anything else but what that has been you. So that if it becomes fixed in heaven, you never can be anything else but a citizen of that city. The days of your trials are over. The old one in hell can never be anything but a damned soul forever. There is no loner's bench in that regions of night. There is no wailing world in hell. There is no pulpit to preach and no place to find God. Character is fixed. Choices are made and settled. And destiny is determined that the ages roll ponderous gates of God's wrath have been closed its ponderous locks will never be shaken off by an earthquake and its gates will never break down and God has thrown the key away and forgot the damned in hell ever live they forgot God and he's forgotten them and somewhere in the perpetual night of that world they wail and mourn, but their character and their there is no God. The only God we'll ever have is here. Now, what have you got? How many of you have I to tonight in this hour to put all the strength I could command into that still wedded and welded to your little self and arguing with yourself and say, I, I won't do it tonight, I'll, I'll go on as I've been living, until you have missed it forever. How many of you, might preaching to tonight that's become so engulfed and so enslaved with your material interests, until you're a slave to them, till they have about blotted out your prayer life, Till you have encroached on your spiritual life and impoverished you. Till you have wondered what's the matter. The matter is, you're trying to serve God, but you are serving men. I've got good news for the honest man or woman tonight that said, Preacher, I want to be cut loose. I want to be cut loose from earthly gain. If God ever had anything, I want to hold it with a loose hand. And say to God, you gave it and you can take it. And I'll use it only as a means to an end. Never an end within itself. But I want all of God that I can get. I've got good news for you. He's generous tonight. He'll give you generously. He'll hang glory all over you and enrich your soul beyond all compare. All he wants is your decision and your open heart to turn yourself up toward him and say, Lord God, I played around the edge. Long enough, i want to be all out for God. Amen.
0: Amen.
2: i have preached to you long enough. I want you to stand, please. Oh, God. My God, have mercy on the preacher. Spare me that I'll not drop dead before this meeting's over. For I've tried to pull somebody's feet out of the fire. I've tried to call a halt in somebody's march toward eternity without God. Yes, yes. i tried to persuade the unconverted, the unsanctified, the backslidden, or the defeated to mind yes. God and desired God. Yes, yes. I can't do any more.
1: You have to do it. Yes, yes, yes.
2: Anyhow, Lord, you've been doing it anyway. Yes. Oh, blessed Savior, with me start scarred hand reach out there and pull on that man, that woman, that young person. Don't let them slip away from here in that that's an abomination of God and justify themselves any longer. Get somebody in a real experience, Lord, if it's only one person, get that person in. On our heads are bowed. Who is it in this place tonight? <laughs> Said, preacher, I've got some things to pray about. I don't know what they are. You and God know that. I'd like to pray with you this last night of my ministry. Are you willing to get out of your seat? Come and kneel down here that we can get to you and pray over you? Or would you go out of here tonight without the help you need? (laughs) Maybe you're crowded, congested, careless, and complacent. And in your own self realize that you're not where you'd like to be with God. How much longer will you defer the crisis in the settlement? Who else besides this one person will come out to pray? If I had asked you to do something that made you any a lesser man or woman, dishonorable or disgraceful, it might be different. But you can't miss it when you come to pray. You're dealing with God. I don't have to know what your trouble is. He knows, and he's got the right remedy for you. If you move out, he'll help you. He'll help you. He'll help you. Don't use infinite pains to be lost. Put forth an effort to be what God wants you to be. Let your devotion come around to be all out for God. Whatever else may be your slogan in life, let it be this, all out for God. All out for God. And he'll not fail you. Oh, you can afford to fail in your classes or in your home or anywhere else in business, but you can't afford to fail God. Don't fail God tonight. He's counted on you. Don't make a wrong decision tonight that you'll regret the longest day you'll live. Who else just walk out without a song yet? Said, I'm coming to play. I'm coming to seek help from God. Are these all? Has God spoken to no more than these? And would you take it from this preacher that in that meeting where God speaks to you, that's the time to act? Don't wait for more conviction. You may not get any more act on what you've thought. Is there one more yet to walk out before we sing? God bless. God bless. Please sing. Call me whatever you may have, just as I am without one please. Or oh, that is a fountain filled with blood. Whatever it may be, let that song be the signal for you to say yes. One big yes to God. I feel terrified. I feel troubled. I'm afraid somebody will go out of here all shut up in yourself. Then you'll make a decision and lose your soul. Don't do it. Don't miss it. Come on, why we see. The heritage of holiness that has been
0: passed on. I don't
1: want to lose the five.
0: So I don't wanna, wanna lose the fire. I don't wanna lose the fight.